This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. On the show today, you'll find out where book publishing is going and how to take advantage of it. How to identify and avoid publishing predators. What opportunities are emerging as the book trade evolves in new forms. How to avoid losing money and much, much more. Join us now as a variety of publishing pros will deliver insights and strategies to take the author to the next, next level of publishing. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. And now, here's your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Well, happy day to all of you. It has been an exciting month, I have to tell you. I'm writing. I've come up with a new book idea. But I am scooting along because I am housebound with a fractured ankle that I cannot put down my foot for two months. So we scoot. We don't walk. We don't run. We don't move fast. We scoot. (laughs) <laughs> in what we're doing and, and what we're going to do is we're going to scoot through this podcast because I have someone that maybe you've heard of um, you have actually many many of you have read his words because John David Mann is is in the celebrity status for being a ghost and a collaborative writer with so many. He's an award-winning author himself. His books have sold in excess of 3 million, that's with an M, million copies, in three dozen languages, including the best-selling classic The Go-Giver with Bob Berg, who we had on a previous podcast with us, and the New York Times best-selling memoir The Red Circle, with former Navy SEAL Brandon Webb. As a teenager, John started his own high school, whoa, and was an award-winning composer, a cellist, before turning to careers as an entrepreneur and an author. His book, Take the Lead, with former White House staffer Betsy Myers, was named by Tom Peters and the Washington Post as the best leadership book of 211. His latest book, written with a personal finance legend David Bach, is called The Latte Factor, and his first novel, A Thriller, is in production and has just been sold. So, John, you are going to tell us about this. So today we're going to talk about, you know, if you're going to work with a ghost, what you should know. What's the cost? What's the expectations? What's the drawbacks? Um, how to protect yourself so your words be, stay your words. Um, and that in writing openly in a collaborative factor where John's name has actually been on the cover of many books. And then we have someone who has transitioned from not fiction, or maybe not transitioned, who has added to his forte a fiction author. Welcome to Author You, Your Guide to Book Publishing, John. Thank you, Judith. It's so great to be here. Oh, I'm tickled. I am actually tickled that you're here. I've been wanting to do it, and I have to give kudos to Bob Berg for suggesting I just pick up the phone and call you. So, uh, (laughs) here we are. And and by the way, for all of you listening, so many times you ask, how do I do this and how do I do that? You do it by asking. you got to incorporate the ask in your when you want something you need something you it's don't expect it to drop in your lap you got to go for it so i'm thrilled that john david mann is here and and i think maybe i'm going to jump let's just jump off with your new book right now so tell us about what's going on you you just landed a two book deal if i understand right yeah yeah it's um if you had told me 
10 years ago, certainly 15 years ago, that I would be writing a thriller about a Navy, about a disgraced Navy SEAL stalking Ooh. a serial killer on an aircraft carrier in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Ooh. I would have said, what, are you, what are you smoking? <laughs> this, is, this is not how I started out, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I, you know, my background, I kind of have to say this to lead up to the book, my background in terms of writing, uh, you know, I came out of the world of, of uh, business and leadership and entrepreneurship and personal development and kind of all the topics that wrap around that variegated core. Books like The Go-Giver uh, were kind of a natural outgrowth of that. Uh, Bob, my buddy Bob Berg, was a sales tra- has been a sales trainer, is today a sales trainer, it's kind of has been his career. I did a bunch of that too, and I was I was in the, the sort of the sales world, um, peripheral to it, but, but involved in it for years. And so, you know, I naturally transitioned into co-writing books about leadership, like that book you mentioned, "Take the Lead" with Betsy Myers, or about different aspects of business um, and so forth. That was kind of a natural transition. And then one day this opportunity fell in my lap to write that book you mentioned, The Red Circle, to write a book with a Navy SEAL, former Navy SEAL sniper, um, who is himself a a decent writer, but he needed a a real pro writer to write his memoir with him. I grabbed at that because it sounded fascinating. I I have no military background. Uh, Not only have I never been a Navy SEAL sniper, I've never been a, a, a... a uh, you know galley assistant on a ship. I mean, I've got no history with that. So it was a completely foreign uh, language, foreign territory, foreign world to me. I knew really nothing about it other than what any you know anyone learns by watching movies, which is very little. Um, so that's kind of cool. I mean, to me, it was like it kind of like the immigrants' love for the English language. You know, nobody speaks. English. Nobody writes English, some might say, like uh, someone for whom it was not their first language. My father was a great example. He came from Germany during the war, and, and you know, his English was unique, <laughs> but he had a love of it. So for me, the military was like that. Um, speaking military and trying to get it right, um, you know, everywhere from, you know, technical specs about, about you know, guns and ammunition all the way to how would someone say that? How would somebody react to that? How would that conversation go so that that felt authentic? I mean, that was just like, uh, you know, it was kind of a, I thought it was a really fascinating challenge. I loved it. So Brandon and I wrote that book, did really well. That was in 2009. Um, we've written six books since then. Um, we've, the, the partnership has just grown and grown and grown. We've gotten to know each other really well. We did some more military memoirs. We transitioned into writing books that are more like business books um, because he's now a uh, CEO of a multi-million dollar media company. Brandon made the jump from military to entrepreneurship when he got out of the service. Um, so we did a book called Total Focus, which is all about applying principles of uh, special operations in the, in the field to life in the business world and life in just, you know, civilian world generally. And then we wrote a book. This is a long answer, Judith, but I'm getting it. I promise. We wrote, wrote a book called, called <laughs> "Hey, Mas- you know what, John? You're you're <laughs> an there. author yeah. and a writer. You got a lot of words. I got it. There you go. <laughs> I got I got a thread. I'm getting the end thread. So then we wrote a book called we wrote a book called "Mastering Fear," which is, again, it's kind of based on 
principles that he learned in the trenches in a war, but also principles that he and I have both learned in, in just in, in business and leadership and life. And then he had had this idea way back in 2009 when we first met um, from an experience he had on an aircraft carrier. And he, it, he was kind of one of those what-if moments. There was a... Um, there was a creepy stalker. It was the, the military had just, the Navy had just begun integrating women onto onto their onto their ships, onto their aircraft carriers. And um, Abraham Lincoln was one of the first to integrate, and he was on that that ship. And there was this guy who was uh, flip off. He would reach in, he reach into women's dorm with his hand and flip off the lights, and then sneak in and 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 fondle somebody. It never got violent. Nobody was ever out and out raped. There was never any, anything that got, you know, really horrendous, but it was creepy and it was freaking people out. Um, and they never caught him. Never, it just eventually stopped. Went on mm-hmm. for weeks. And Brandon at the time thought, God, this is, not only is this creepy, but what if it got worse? Like, what if this guy hurt somebody? What if, some, what if this guy killed somebody? And he said, wouldn't that be bizarre because we're not equipped to handle crime on this ship. Um, and so he, he told me back in 2009, would you ever want to work on a, on a novel? And it took us 10 years, but we did. Um, so we wrote the novel and just got a two-book deal with Ballantine Books. So they're, they bought the, the novel and its serial, which, its sequel, which, which I haven't written yet. <laughs> so I have my homework cut out for me. So, yeah, it's a whole – you're right, Judith. It's, you said the transition or just add it. It feels like a transition to me. It, it feels like I'm I'm leaving. I, I might be leaving the the business book world behind and really like kind of mm. leaping into this as a new career. Um, I've wow. been leapfrogging careers my whole life, and this is like this is such a fascinating and cool new area to be in. So, yeah, I think I'll do more of this. Well, that sounds. Fabulous, fabulous. So I think that, you know, you're kind of tweaking me a little bit, John, because I have, I've been doing a lot of right. Right now I'm spending maybe six hours a week with a client as I sit with them in Zoom and I am rewriting their book. Um, and they're saying, does it feel like you, because I'm always concerned and, and I want to get into this because I've seen people work with heavy duty developmental content editors and yes. they take it over. It, all of a sudden, it's no longer the author's idea. They have the, the general idea, yeah. but their voice kind of disappears. So I'm, I'm always sensitive to that. And that, yep. so I always make sure, does this sound like you do? Like the way this is written? Is this, you know, so we, as we go along, literally line by line, is I'm making changes yes. on it. But the other side is that, dang, you know, I'm really writing some good stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And, what, what, and would, that, what would you like and, to really have it be your stuff? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just coming in, and I've had some ideas seeding around, and, and, and it's just really, again, okay, so, so I need like seven more hours in the day, but to sit down and get going. So I think that we're going to come up to our first break, and then we're going to get into asking John some heavy-duty questions. And I actually, one of them, first one is, so you can get ready for it, is I really want to know, what do you decide what projects you take on? John, sure, you know, because sure. I'm sure you're approached by a zillion people. And then for all of you that what the most important thing is why I love the line from Stephen King's book on writing, just start writing. 
just start. I don't care how crappy it is. Just start. It's a beginning. You're going to throw a lot of stuff out, but it's a beginning, and you're on your way. We'll be right back. It's Author You, your guide to book publishing. I'm Judith Bryles. With me is John David Van. This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Is there a book in you? Or another? Author You shows you how to create, develop, and publish your book without being hoodwinked. If you already have a book out... You will find a supportive and brainstorming community that is connected and creative, no matter where you live. Author U brings in national experts for its book camps and annual Author U extravaganza. It has regular meetings and delivers webinars for its members on timely topics. Through Author U's extensive network, members enjoy exclusive benefits, including significant discounts for a variety of services necessary to publishing. Author U is the premier authoring resource in the country, creating community, education, guidance, vision, and success for the serious author. If you want to create a book that has pizzazz, punch, and panache, Author U is for you. Timely author and publishing tips and articles are posted on its social media platforms, and it is free. Discover Author U, where authors go to become seriously successful. Join Author You today at authoru.org. Are you confused about publishing options? Do you know which printing option is best for your book? Does your stomach flip when you think about selling books? Or do you feel overwhelmed with what to do about book marketing and publicity? Get the answers and much more. Get them and from someone who knows publishing inside and out from both the traditional and independent sides how to make a successful book. You can't do it alone without paying the price. You can spend your money creating a book that turns out to be so-so, or you can create a book that looks and feels classy, builds your brand and platform, and is a success, a bestseller. It is your choice. You choose. If you want author and publishing success, you want Judith Bryles as your book coach. Sign up for her weekly blogs and e-zine at thebookshepherd.com. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book, if you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Hi, welcome back. With me is John Mann, who is a writer extraordinaire. He has been the ghost for some major books. He has been certainly on the cover 
uh, books like the best-selling The Go-Giver series with Bob Berg. Um, he has now just sold his own stepping over, going to the crossover two-book fiction deal with a major publisher. But we're going to be talking about collaboration and uh, and the writing things and things you look at. So I think that I, I, when I exited out, I wanted to kiss on this um, since he does work with a variety of other authors that maybe don't have the writing gift. I'm sure, John, you see this. They've got great ideas, but they suck as writers. Is that true? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Lots of people. Yeah, we're just we're just gonna lay it on the table, dear listeners. All right. It's so, uh, yes. <laughs> well, it is the truth. I have said that to many of my clients. All right, I need to fix this. All right. So, how do you choose what projects you take on? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot different now than it was when I was starting out, for sure. Because when I was starting mm-hmm. out, uh, I would it's not quite accurate to say I'd take anything that paid a little bit of money, but it's pretty close. Because I, mean, I really started out getting very paid very little money for a lot of work. Uh, but that's a great question, and it's, there are two kind of criteria, I think. Um, one is creative and emotional, artistic if you want, philosophical, and the other is, is uh, financial. So um, if, I'm, if I'm writing, say I'm writing someone's memoir, or I'm, writing, I'm doing some kind of a, a collaboration with somebody, and I'm going to be kind of telling their story, or at least to some degree I'm going to be voicing them, or writing about mm-hmm. them, yeah. I gotta be in love. It's like I've got to. I, I may not. It's like I told you with the military stories. I knew nothing about that world whatsoever, but I clicked with the guy. I, as we talked, I related to him, to his values, to kind of what was important to him. Uh, I've got to feel enough simpatico so that. I mean, because I'm going to be looking at this for, what, six months, a year, uh, whatever the, the amount of time is, I'm going to be immersed in this world. I need to click. It needs to feel emotionally satisfying to me, like because I'm going to take that on and like be, pretend to be that person in, in, in a sense. It's almost like taking on a movie role as an actor. Right. The other the other side of it is, you know, most of the guys I work with, like Bob Berg, Brandon Webb, two really good examples. Our deal is, I'll write the book. You know, you write the book, I'll sell the book. Or from my perspective, I write the book, they do the marketing. Um, books. As we, as you know, I, I hope we all know this. Books don't sell themselves typically; <laughs> they have they to don't. be marketed. No. And publishers, yeah. bless them, you know, will do a varying degree of of uh, work in that regard. But especially in nonfiction, if you're going to publish a book and you hope to really market it to reach a significant readership, there has to be a concerted uh, marketing and promotional effort, and you have to be that effort, unless you have a partner who is. Like Bob Berg is has been responsible. He's been on the road for a decade, t- telling the Go Giver story, talking about it, training yeah. it, teaching it. He's he's amazing. Well, I he's not built do a, that. Yeah, he's built an empire on the Go Giver yeah. series. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we have we have a, we have a deal. We have an agreement between us. He goes on the road and makes a public makes public appearances, and meanwhile he keeps me chained. Uh, to a post in the basement, sitting on some newspaper and nibbling oatmeal while I type on the keyboard. That's our deal. Mm-hmm. And um, it's cold, cold down here, but I like it. You know. So yeah. the second <laughs> criterion for me is I will. On- I really only want to partner with somebody with a co-author where I feel confident that they've got a, uh, a topic and a platform 
where they're going to sell books, where this book mm-hmm. is going to actually make an impact. I am not interested in writing a book and pouring my life into a book that, uh, that only reaches uh, 100 people. And I should add this, Judith, and this is kind of, I think, critical to my answer. I have a, uh, an arrangement. The way I, my business model is maybe different than a lot of ghostwriters. I don't take a fee. I split the whole thing 50-50. Whatever so, comes uh, in, if it's sold. Oh, so that's any revenues that in. they come on on the road, like with Bob is selling on the road, or those kind of things, or if there is a publisher involved and they get royalties, you get 50-50. Is that what I understand? Right. I mean, not his speaking fees. That's none of that. But just no, I get that. Itself. But book sales yes. fees. Okay. Exactly. So I, I, that means I, advance, advance royalties, et cetera, et cetera. I, I get half. And if the book doesn't sell, of course, I get nothing. Yeah, I get that. Okay. So I'm going to just, I'm going to now step in as my book marketing coach hat for you. Since you have not been out hustling the sales, it is really imperative to you reach out to all these people and you call in shits. All these people, the Bobs, the, uh, you know, the, the even, um, I, I, I don't even know if, if Bessie's still alive, but if, you know, the, the yeah. Brandon Webb, all these people and saying, you need to shout out for me. You need, and by the way, I'm willing to do that for you too. I have a hundred thousand contacts. I'm willing huh. to push out and shout out. Uh, to support your book, and we're not even in a money deal, but this is where you have to have these joint ventures. Some are very visible, some are very silent. That think you rock, and will support you. So yes, this, you need to Agreed. start making your start making your list, John. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Yeah, okay. you, you right. can't you, for sure. You can't entirely you know ignore the the, the promotional and the networking aspect of it because you. Oh. You know, when you're when you're a writer, you are an entrepreneur, whether you plan to be or not. That's the life. Yes. Yes. And the other thing is, for those of you who dream of or that's your game plan to be affiliated with a traditional publisher, I've said this before, the 37 books I have written with my name on them, um, 18 are with the big boys. And I exited in 2000 to create my own publishing house. Uh, What the publishing of when I started in 80 is so dramatically different from what it is today. And publishing today is more of like a cross between Teflon and Velcro and Teflon. Where yes, where yeah, you know they throw up a published traditional will throw up on the wall if there is and not any traction showing in two weeks. Understand this, everyone. In two weeks, your book will slide off their vision graph, and it's called next. If you get the Velcro and it sticks, then they will come in with marketing support. Most marketing is just really along the lines of a press release and seeing what the author is going to do with his or her uh, deal. Uh, you know, so John brings a whole, you know, whole variety of people that he can get in and support them. And I'm assuming you helped you, you threw those names out in your proposal. So they mm-hmm. let them know that you can market because they, traditional publishers expect you to market your own books today. Not them. Yes. Understand that all right so you take on projects that you feel in sync with yes. um I'm, I'm hearing and and i've often said uh john that don't let me fall in love more with your book than you do because we're in trouble mm-hmm. so, well i think that you know if and if what you're saying there part of what you're saying there is you know i fall so in love with it that i that i want to sort of take take the, the steering wheel away from you and now suddenly it no longer sounds like you yeah that's 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 an interesting thing because, you know, 
in my projects, it varies all the way from a book where I am really invisible. A great example is Betsy Meyer's book. Um, mm -hmm. Betsy, and, and we did the thing where line by line by line we went through the whole book. There were things, mm -hmm. there, were, there were places where I would, I would write some draft and she would say, that doesn't sound like me. And I had, I had to de-John-manify de it. Um, yeah. other, other books I've done, um, like I did uh, uh, Flash Foresight with Dan Burris, The Futurist. Dan is such a terrific guy. We've become, we become extremely good friends since that book. Oh, I love I'd Dan. Write, isn't he amazing? He's such yeah. a sweet guy, too. Yeah, yeah. I would write stuff and, and just send it off to him, stuff that I completely made up. You know, it was like that I researched that I, and I came up with and I had, you know, I, I would coin these principles. And, and he was saying, he'd go, I love this. This is great. This fits perfectly. So <laughs> I've, I've yeah. written things where I've heard, I've heard the, uh, I've heard the, uh, the co-author, you know, speaking them from the stage and, and really think he wrote them himself, which is, which is, which is fun. That, so well, that makes you perfect and ideal. Actually, we had Dan on the show a couple of weeks ago. So, um, ah, cool. But, but that's cool. what's really important. When I say, don't let me fall in love with your book more than you do, um, that's not me taking it over and it's just my voice. It's from you becoming so passive that you just kind of yep. skip out. Um, I want, uh, if I'm working with you, we are active together. That's what's oh, important yeah. to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I respond. Totally don't wait, yes. don't wait a month before you respond back. Judith, Jeez. I have I have had I have had books I've had book projects where I I did pour three months six months in some cases even longer mm -hmm. uh, into it and then uh, eventually terminated and um, yeah or yep. the book didn't didn't never got sold you know so I've had those I had those and, and and a number of those in retrospect I now if they approached me you know all over again I would have said no nah, this is not for me because I'm I'm not in sync there is no simpatico we don't I don't click. Well, and I think it's important to be able to understand that. All right. So that it, you want to take on projects that you feel in line with. So what about um, before we have about two minutes to our next break. So let's look at that. How if, if there, there's a collaboration project, how, do, how does the process start? And I think maybe we ought to kiss on John. It, what is there a contract and, and what should be in what are the do's and don'ts? Uh, of it, and including just that you say you caved in on a project, you just said I had it. So, what kind of divorce clause should be in a collaborative project? That's great. That's that's something we talk about after the break. We want to take a running stab at it right no, now. You take a running stab. You've got it. You got a full minute. You can run at it. And uh, I've gone all. We'll, I've gone every, every, everywhere from doing a full collaborative agreement that my agent uh, supplies. Um, and. Uh -huh. With, with which is great, you know, and I, I um, those can be, can, I recommend those. It's good to have a, collabor a collaboration agreement that's carefully vetted by your lawyer as well as his lawyer or her lawyer. Uh -huh. I love those. Bob Berg and I, um, we we've been, uh, you know, we sold almost a million books together, and we turned around one day and said, you know what, we never put anything on paper, so don't do what we did. <laughs> um, <laughs> most of the time, I have a, I have a carefully vetted collaboration agreement. It does have a kill clause or an exit clause or a divorce clause, as you said, um, where, uh, which which um, I've learned from, from bitter experience because I have been yep. divorced from projects where I ended up walking away with nothing. I know, and yeah. me too. All right, let's take let's take a quick break, and we'll come back, and let's let's get okay. into what should be included and what is frivolous. Let's say. All right, we'll be right back. With me is John Mann. We're talking about working with someone else to get your book off the ground and out. 
Books is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Discover the power of you and your book at the Judith Bryles Unplugged events. Each summer, Judith Bryles Book Marketing Unplugged unfolds over three intensive days working with just Judith. You get publishing strategies, author and book platforms, book marketing panache and pizzazz, and authoring tools to take you and your book to rock star success. In the fall and winter, Judith Bryles Speaking Unplugged includes Judith as your coach and mentor during two powerful days. You will learn how to structure a speech, how to create openings and closings, how to find gigs that pay you and sell your books, and you will get one-on-one -on -one coaching. Go to thebookshepherd.com and click on the Events tab to learn how to participate at the next Unplugged Workshop event. Congratulations on getting your book published. The effort you put into your work is truly commendable. But what's next? What will happen to all the knowledge you have worked so hard to acquire to produce your book? Here at Toginet Radio, we can provide you a platform to keep your knowledge working for you through the power of podcast. The subjects our podcasts cover are as varied as the grains of sand on a beach. From life coaching, to military resources, to business success, even to the paranormal. We have a place for everyone. To get started on your next step, call Scott at 903-787-5880 or email him at scott at toginetradio.com. That's S-C-O-T-T at T-O-G-I-N-E-T-R-A-D-I-O dot com. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Coming up, you'll hear more about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. With me is best-selling um, author himself, book collaborator John Mann. And uh, we're really talking about, first, we, we want to kiss on elements of a contract. That means written, not handshake. I want some stuff in writing. Um, how do you have an escape, kill, or as I call it, the divorce uh, a clause that goes in there? And then I want him to get into, so what's this collaborative process look like? All right, so John, back to you. Yeah, um, contract process, you know, I have an agent that I love. I have two agents that I love, actually. And I look at the contract, and I, I, they're, they're, you know, I like to, to understand it all, but I'm, I'm not really a contract expert. And I just, I just know I need to be covered by, a, by some kind of decent clause. Like if I, if I get let go, if, they, if my co-author suddenly decides they don't want me in the book anymore and I'm put in a substantial amount of work already, I want to make sure I get mildly compensated for that amount of work. Again, remember... My work is not fee-based. My work is yes. royalty-based. My business mm -hmm. model is I want to build a long-term residual income. So I, another, another uh, criterion in looking for collaborative projects, I want to collaborate in a book that's going to be selling 10 years from now, 15 years from now. That's my goal. Um, so, yeah. I, I, and and I, I have friends who 
want a hefty fee right now on the book, and they honestly don't care what happens five years from now. And that's fine. That's their business model. But mine is I would rather take less up front and be more emotionally invest and financially invested in the long-term longevity of the book. Um, so uh, on to the process of collaboration. I, I do this in three I call I guess I call this three phases. And it's pretty distinct. Whether I'm doing a memoir for somebody or I'm doing a business book like with Dan Burris or I'm doing even a parable with somebody like I did with David Bach or or even a novel like the one I've only done one. It's the same process for all of them. And it looks like this. Uh, phase one is gathering. And gathering might be spending hours uh, on the phone in interviews. Usually my interviews are no longer than 45 minutes. I start to get ear fatigued by an hour. Um, and I may do 12, I may do 20, I may do 25. I, as, as long as I need to talk to someone to get everything I need from them in terms of their story, particularly if it's a memoir kind of book. Um, and I, tr I record those and I get them transcribed or transcribed myself either way. And that's some raw material. I may grab their blog posts. If they have lectures transcribed, I may get those. If they have articles, I will gather their stuff. In the case of, in some books, I may need to do my own research. Uh, I may need to read other background books, get on the Internet, whatever it takes. For the novel, I spent three solid months in research, and I ended up going on an aircraft carrier for a day. Um, you know, that's, that's the research phase. Second phase is the actual writing, and this I do completely by myself. Um, I, I close the door to my room. I, the early morning hours are best, and this is where I'm coming up with a story. And even if it's someone's memoir, and you think, wait, wait it's, they already have a story. Yeah, but you still need to come up with a story. Even if they've told you what happened in their life, you still need to kind of figure out what's the arc of that. What's the beginning, middle, and end of that? Where, where, what are the conflict points? What's this, where's the suspense? What are you rooting for? You're still, even in a nonfiction book, you're still crafting a story because you have to figure out what, when the reader picks up the book, what draws them in and what holds them to the last page. It's the storyline. Um, no matter how technical the book is, it's still a storyline. So, Crafting the story, doing, generating the material, um, I've, by this point, I've absorbed enough of my co-author's life, personality, philosophy, whatever it is. I've sucked up enough of, of sort of their, their essence. So now I just put it on like a suit of clothes, and now we're going to sit down, and whatever ideas of my own are going to come bubbling out, it's all going to go in. That gets me to a draft. Then I open the doors back up and go to my collaborator and say, okay, let me share what I got. Um, and, and frequently, in most ca or many cases, I'll say, I don't share the draft with my co-author until it's done. In some cases, I'll share it chapter by chapter or, you know, chunk by chunk. Depends on the nature of the project and also of how involved they want to be. Uh, I've had, you know, typically when I do a parable with Bob Burr, He's like, you're writing it. Awesome. Let me know when it's done and we'll talk. And then, then he'll read it. He'll sit down and he has tremendous input. He has all kinds of great ideas about how wouldn't this work better this way or that way. So uh, that's when I get to, to the collaboration with my, with my co-author. What, what did I get wrong? What could be better? Et cetera. Um, but when I'm doing the actual writing, I, I, I hold up. So that's, that's phase two. Phase three is, is, the, is the real collaboration at the end where we take what I've drafted and then, you know, 
kind of whip it into shape and, and finesse it and, and make it perfect as we can. Well, that, that sounds actually kind of like the way I work. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I understand this. Talk, I mean, I talk about you've got to go uh, be myopic. Um, I go into a mocking yeah. thing. And I mean, I literally created, you're going to love this, John. I have like crime scene tape. And it says like yellow, purple, green, a different color taped. But literally, yeah. when they go across my hole up place, it's <laughs> author at work, do not disturb. I mean, and everyone yeah. who works within my offices knows that we can bring your food, but you put it under the tape. <laughs> you, you yeah, can stand. I say a word, a word more about that? You know, you mentioned, you mentioned something about this earlier about um, – yeah. And I forget what the actual entree was, but uh, it's about, oh, you said, you know, just right. Stephen King said, yeah, you make yeah, the craft, you right. throw it away later. Here's the deal for me, and that is when you're in that writing phase, the thing that I think kills most wannabe writers is that they, can't, they don't know how to turn their critical voice off. When you close yourself in your room and start actually writing, you not only have to keep everybody else out, you also have to keep your own critical mind out. The part of you yes. that is an editor, yeah. the part of you that wants to evaluate that that part of you has to stay on the other side of the crime tape. You have to write as if you are writing the most brilliant stuff in the world. No one has ever written anything this amazing before. And you have to believe that BS because otherwise you won't bring out the best and get it in the page. And yes, 80% of what you're putting in the page is probably garbage. And you don't know which is the 80 and which is the 20. You'll find that out later. You have to just trust that the 20% is in there. Uh, and, and not allow that critical voice to sneak into the room. Oh, I, I just so believe that. I also tell, you know, in talking with a lot of my fiction authors who are writing, that if you will get allow yourself to get into the zone, your characters actually will talk to you. They'll help lead you. Let them. Let them, because you never know where it's going to go. Um, right. And where, where that critical voice would never open that door to allow that. So. Yes. Yep. You know, now we're talking about writing <laughs> on that. All right. So um, we kissed on contracts. I want to come back to that a little bit before we move on. So if you could sure. kind of do the whip around here uh, that that what are the key elements that someone should have in a contract? If, if they're working in a collaborative state. Uh, well, for me, a contract is this is the. Um, sort of the solidification or the actual the articulation of expectations. Uh, what mm. are the expectations? And you know, it's interesting. I just did a, I had a collaboration agreement a little while ago with someone where they came back and said, "Whoa, wait a second, we're going to sh- participate in expenses. At, you know, like you're going to we're going to split your expenses fifty fifty for writing the book." Nobody had ever mentioned that before. I had even forgot. This is, this is a clause, a standard clause that really kind of harkens from the day when people would do a lot of Xeroxing, if you remember that word. And, yes. you know, and, uh, and long-distance phone bills, if we can remember that phrase. And yeah. it's kind of irrelevant. There are no expenses. You sit down on your laptop and you hit Google and, you know, you're done. Um, but, yes, it turns out, you know, I might make a – I did, in this case, make a plane trip and I stayed in a hotel – uh, and so we had to talk about that. But, yeah, it's like you, you don't want to have uh, surprises at the end. How, when, how big is this book going to be? Roughly how many, how many thousand words? Ru- you know, what's the, what's the uh, schedule for completing it? 
Um, I had one collaborator I worked with many times. They really wanted to have a set of benchmarks for like they would get uh, an outline at a certain time, an expanded outline at a certain time, half the book at a certain time, the mm. whole book at a certain time. That was a little confining for me, but I could work with that. and It was actually useful to me. Um, so to me, a contract, again, is to solidify expectations. And as in, in the case of the divorce clause, is in, in the unexpected event that there's a problem, uh, how are we going to deal with that? You know, typically a legal contract will even be to the point of saying which state it would be arbitrated in if it ever went to, if, if it ever went to arbitration and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, you know, that's, I guess, what I could say about contracts. Get your expectations handled. You know, I, I think um, I, I thank you for doing the um, the unexpected events because it there are things that sometimes do waylay you, um, and you yeah. as the one who's going to be doing the bulk of the work. That mm -hmm. all of a sudden, and that I, I guess the first thing is I would have in that if anything unexpected comes up, and you might, for example, uh, you're in a car accident and you're in the hospital for a week, or you know something like that. That communication mm -hmm. needs to be initiated. So if there's you have a benchmark tied in, those get altered. Otherwise, you're yeah. all going to end up in deep doo doo. I think. Yes. Yeah, and so, case in point, you need to have. Uh, should you be incapacitated? Who's who's corresponding for you you know who, who is the other party that's i mean you know oh, who's your exactly. heir and apparent if you will yep. that's right so if you get hit by the bus what happens you know where you know, is it shouldn't it shouldn't take more than four or five six pages i have had a contract i've had contracts with publishers publishers contracts go a lot longer oh. i've had oh. collaboration agreements with authors that ran um, you know, once or twice that ran to, you know, 15, 16, 18 pages. And I, I could not for the life of me figure out why. And I still think it was ridiculous. Five, six pages should handle handle everything, really. I agree with you totally on that. I mean, I it just you people get crazy. And I remember the old contracts with publishers in the 80s when I first went on board with them. They were three pages. They were three pages, <laughs> four pages yeah. max. And they always yeah. had a clause in there, including reversal, reversion of rights, which have disappeared. And they had clauses in there of, of you know, if it if, if this doesn't go, you know, when it when it's over. Totally different. All right, we're going to come back with John Mann. Um, and we've kissed on contracts. We've kissed on the process. I want to go with so John as this amazing writer. How about writer's block? We'll be right back. This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. The book shepherding concept is simple. The publishing world is changing, and so must you. You need an experienced shepherd and guide to collaborate with you as you create, strategize, develop, publish, and achieve your publishing goals. Publishing is riddled with obstacles, sometimes nightmares for the author. You do not need more problems. You want solutions. Dr. Judith Riles will shepherd you through the maze and chaos. 
At times, she has had to step in and rescue a book, a book that has been sabotaged by a publisher, by a publishing service provider, and sometimes even by the author. If you want author and book success, connect with her today at thebookshepherd.com. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book, if you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Well, John, you're a writer. I bet, I would bet dollars to donuts that you have had more than your share of writer's blocks. Um, hmm. How do you deal with them? Huh. Um, yeah, I have... I have it every day. <laughs> oh. Um, so there's, there's different kinds of block for me, but you know, one of the things I've, I've learned to do when I have uh, a, story, say a story I'm working on and I'm stuck in a certain spot, leave a spot alone and go, go where it's easy. You can call it low-hanging fruit if you like, but I, yeah. I like to try to look, look, for, look for where is it easy. And what that looks like is, there's a there's a passage somewhere, and it could be late in the story, uh, which I haven't gotten to yet. But I'll jump to the end if I already know what's going to happen, or if I have an idea about what's going to happen, or if you know my collaborator said something really cool and I want to work. Then I'll develop that thing that they said that was really cool, even if I don't know where it fits. I'll go, sort of go to where the juice is, and mm. most times there's you know if I'm stuck on this chapter. If I jump to that chapter, there'll be some place where the juice is. Having said chapter, I should say this. I like to work with outlines. I am one of those writers who always develops an outline. Um, I develop an outline and also the material side by side, hand in hand, both of them always changing. Literally, I'll have two files open on my, on my laptop screen, one on the left and one on the right. So, but I, so my outline is never rigid. It'll change. It'll move. I'll change things around, but I always have an outline. I like the structure of it. So I usually know where I'm going or I have some idea of where I'm headed, um, and that helps. But, yeah, the, the other thing I do is you know, sometimes I get to a point where I just can't write anymore because I have to, re- have to read. I've got I to refill the pump, so to speak. And so I'll, I'll like, for a day or two, uh, I'll just literally not write a word and go and chow down you know, a novel that I'm, I'm in love with or something. And, and Take that a break. kind of refreshes me. Yeah. Take a break. Well, but I start out by saying I get writer's block every day, and that looks like this. I sit down in the chair in the morning, and the negative voices start in my head saying, you don't know what you're doing. I have no idea what to do here. I'm, I, 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 I still have to take that critical voice that's in my head and park it outside the door, and I have to almost make a physical effort to do that. Um, because, you know, sometimes I can do it in five minutes and sometimes it takes me an hour to, to when I'm with a particularly thorny, knotty part of my story. Uh, it, takes me, it can take me a while to, to uh, stop the barking dog in my head. Let it, let it just stop and let it go out, sit down the rug and chew on a bone and leave me alone while I write the story. So, yeah, have to be kind to yourself and believe in yourself. 
<laughs> so I have to tell you, I love the visual of the barking dog. I think that's very yeah. cool. I actually will do the devour the the book, or I will just see a movie. And I'm telling you, it, it all of a sudden wherever I was stuck, it drops in in that process. Yeah. All of a sudden, that's the that's the line. That's the trigger, like, like, and it comes like in. Like Brahms, that's, that's I'll do it. Brahms, me. I'll do what Brahms used to do: take a walk, uh, taking a yeah. walk outside often. Just clicks it, or taking a shower. Taking a shower is my number one creative uh, uh, source. I just come oh, in the shower. <laughs> I've had authors tell me that. Okay, so um, success, success. What's the number one thing you think is a factor for your own success that you tell other authors? Uh, it's kind of a binary answer, like like two binary stars. It's it's um, having complete and total faith in the outcome and, and complete humility in the process. It's kind of like, I think maybe it was Neil Gaiman who said, to, so to write you have to have the, the ego of a, of a seven-year-old, unique ego of a seven-year-old, and the, and the humility of a Buddhist monk, or something like that. Um, <laughs> you have to, for me, I have to totally believe in, in myself, like, no, no one can tell you what the right path is but you. No one can tell you what the right word choice is but you. No one can tell you what this character believes but you. You are the only one who knows. And there are like two dozen people around you who know better than you do. So it's like it's a, it's a contradictory, it's a paradoxical thing. You have to, A, be absolutely believe in that, that you know best in a sense, that you know what you're doing and that what you're doing is going to work. And B, you have to remain open to the critical um, perspective of people around you that you trust who know better than you. I had a writing teacher uh, many years ago in Hollywood who, who said at the end of a long and, and elaborate and complex writing course where he taught all kinds of skills, he said, you know what, this is all good, but ultimately, if you want to be an A-list writer in Hollywood, you need two things. Number one, you need to really, really perfect your craft. You take, have to take your writing and make it better and better and better and better until it shines like gold and is really, really excellent. And number two, you have to be easy to work with. You have to be able to take criticism. You know, my novel started out at 150 plus thousand words, and I worked with two consultants who uh, took my hand and told me I had to cut it from that down to about 100,000. And I had to yep. cut a, you know, a, th a third of the thing, yep. basically. And it, yep. it's much better for it. And I, if I had had my ego in the way, um, you know, it, the novel would, would not, wouldn't work. It just would be inferior. Yeah, and I agree. I, I go through that all the time. I said, all right, we're, we're going to narrow this down. So it happens. All right, then, last but not late, well, almost last but late. So what are the... You know, you've probably not always had everything smooth sailing. What kind of mistakes have you made? What kind of boo-boos? Mm. I do think <gasps> the elements of failure are the nutrients of success. Um, so I do think that uh, I've had some – I think I might have mentioned this already. I've had several uh, book projects that uh, in the end never happened, and for both reasons, both because I, I really – I didn't get along with the author. I didn't get along with the author's idea. I didn't, we didn't click. Um, mm -hmm. And also I've, I've been involved in books that I loved. I just am passionate about. 
and there really wasn't a market for that book. Um, so that, you know, when we went to New York City to sell it, nobody mm-hmm. bought it. Uh, that's, it's, and I should have known. I should have known ahead of time. And that has informed my self-education about criteria for selecting projects. Um, mm-hmm. And I've also, of course, I've also learned a ton about, uh, you know, how terrible my own writing can be and how to improve it. But that's not really failures. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> book projects, book projects that, that, uh, that did, were not as successful commercially as I would have liked them. That is, they didn't re- re- reach – uh, as many readers as I want, those have been incredibly valuable learning experiences, and I've become pickier and pickier and pickier as I've aged. John, um, I'd loved having you on this afternoon, and thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, totally my pleasure. I love talking with you about writing. All right. So, everyone, I want to let you know because I have one more question for him. But if you want to find out about John and the work he's done, his website is John uh, David Mann, M-A-N-N dot com. So with that, here's the question. What do you wish authors would ask, but they don't, when they seek your services, either as a ghostwriter or uh, creating a collaborative partnership? You know, I, I really, I, I almost don't have an answer for that only because I feel like it's my job to ask the questions. <laughs> and I, I'm learning more with every project the questions that I, I need to make sure I ask at the, at the start. But uh, I think there's a question that I'd like both of us to answer at the outset, which is what, is, what would success uh, – of this project look like? What does that mean? I, I need to know from them what's their expectation. You know, what would, uh, uh, you know, do they, do they need to have Brad Pitt make the movie of their life for this book to be a success? <laughs> do oh, they well. need to be at the top of the New York Times bestselling list? What, what is the expectation for, what is, the, you know, wh- where do you pop the cork on the champagne bottle? And um, I, I need to ask myself that question as well. It's important to, to both of us, I think, um, to ask that about that particular project um, with, with the proviso that we always intend to exceed our expectations. Let's hope so. All right. I'll, I'll settle for that. I, you know what? I, that's a question I ask. What does success look like to you? And, of course, for some people, it'll be selling a gazillion books. For some people, having the media knock down my door. And for some, it'll be having Brad Pitt call me and say, I love your story. So, it, it, you know, et cetera. It varies. But what envision it, look at it, and then reach for it. I think I'm going to say that. So, John Mann, thank you so much for being part of our hour on Author You, Your Guide to Book Publishing. Totally my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Each week, a variety.